You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, hello there. Well, I can see you. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Joe. That's nice. Uh, Joe and I will not be at the top of the building rappelling off. We'll be praying for those who are. <laughs> those are on the list of phobias we both found out a while ago. That's on the, towards the top of our list. But anyway, um, huh. let me start with the hammer principle. Um, a couple of my young friends up here noticed I have a hammer. Yeah. 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 Hammer principle is this. You don't listen? No. No. Uh, <laughs> hammer principle, uh, regular hammer, uh, average hammer, a well-worn hammer, if humidity is just right, which it isn't, it can be even loose in its head sort of hammer. Uh, very average, just a regular hammer. But an extraordinary carpenter could come in through those doors back there and could take this average hammer and do some pretty outstanding work. Agreed? Now, once that work was done, we wouldn't look at what had been done and say, wow, what a hammer. We say, wow, what a carpenter able to take such an average tool and do such extraordinary work. I like to share that a lot of places I go because I want to remind me and I want to remind you and let you know that I'm just a very average tool. Faded, grayed, a little bit loose in my head sometimes. But I happen to know an extraordinary carpenter and his name is Jesus. And my prayer today is that uh, what is shared today uh, won't call attention to the tool, but will call attention to the carpenter. Uh, Joe, a moment ago, in uh, uh, introducing me, said I was going to be coming and preaching today. No, I'm not. <clears throat> um, no, I, that's not what God's laid on my heart to do today. I, I can preach a sermon, uh, but that's not what he's laid on my heart to do today. Uh, what he's laid on my heart to do today is, uh, if you could just imagine that the table you're sitting in at today is in your kitchen, dining room, just at home, around the table. And I've just pulled up a chair, and I'm going to talk a little bit, just share with you a little bit. That's what I want to do a little bit today, uh, is just share a little bit from my heart to your heart. Um, me, uh, like I said, I'm an average uh, tool. Uh, but I am one that, uh, uh, different than Joe. Now, in a lot of ways, he has a beard and I don't. Anyway, um, <laughs> Joe has told you, he's confessed, he let him know that he is a Gentile sort of guy. I mean, a heathen. Re he redeemed, uh, but that's where his background. Uh, not much he has done that wouldn't be on the list of heathen. Uh, that's my friend Joe. Me, I was a guy who grew up in church. I was a church guy. Um, uh, well, from preschool sort of age, age of some of these kids around here, I was taken to church, gone to church, and kneeled beside my dad at about age of nine and asked Jesus into my life and uh, was just to church every week, every week, every week. Um, list of heathen things to do, I didn't do. Not that I didn't want to <laughs> on occasions, but... Uh, uh, most of the time, and so totally different. But where Joe and I are the same is that he and I both 
wrestled in our lives with this thing that he has talked about of performance-based identity. The difference was, was the audience he played to and the audience I played to. The audience he performed for led to behaviors that I would say are heathen. Um, the audience I played for led me to do good churchy things. But we were both foundationing how we felt about ourselves, our identity, uh, and who we were on the basis of the applause that we got from those. And, and, and so that's a bondage, friends. I was in bondage to that. And mine was more legalistic, being that good church-going person. But you know, someone can be a good church-going person and look and do all the right things, but be in bondage, and I was. Joe's bondage was to other addictions and things, but the bottom a root of it was performance-based identity. Uh, performance-based acceptance. I feel like I had to do to get my acceptance. Uh, and that's a bondage. Um, a bondage that God is able to set us free from. Isn't that good? And the word is called grace. That's a word that's highlighted in Ephesians. Grace. Undeserved favor. Um, I began to be aware of that as a young adult. I, well, actually, because I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because I'd perform, I'd perform, I'd perform. I'd try to do the best I could, and I didn't feel it wasn't good enough. So I'd run forward in church and say, I'm going to work harder. I will. Everybody applaud. Yay, Dale's going to work harder. That's great. Oh, yeah. I'd wear myself out in five or ten minutes again feel lousy again but God began to show me that I didn't have to perform for him to get his acceptance as a nine-year-old boy when I knelt and accepted Christ I was pulled into his acceptance from which nothing will separate me he began to show me that he began to show me that uh, a key verse for me became, I became crucified with Christ. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. He began to show me I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He began to show me that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He began to show me who I was in him. And I didn't have to perform to be accepted to be who I was. One of the books, I'm not sure, I do not remember how it got in my hands, uh, but one of the books that uh, was a part of that process, uh, that, that part of God renewing my mind, uh, was by a Chinaman that had lived in the past generation, back in the 40s, 30s and 40s. Um, his name was Nee. He became known as Watchman Nee. Uh, and he paid a heavy price for his faith at a time communism was coming into China. Uh, but he, uh, he wrote a book, kind of a commentary on, uh, uh, or at least based out of the book of Ephesians. And, 
as you've looked at the material, if you looked at the material and the stuff that, uh, that Joe is putting together uh, on the website for uh, the book of Ephesians, you'll see the three words that, he, that his book ended up being called. Sit, walk, stand. And, he, and, and the Spirit used him as a guide, a, a Chinaman from a different generation, but inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. God took him, the, the Spirit in him, and then he took that same Spirit who lived in me and began to bring alive this book of Ephesians for me. And began to realize, I began to see who I was in him. In him, in him, in him. Key phrase, key phrase in the book of Ephesians is the phrase in him. In those six little chapters as we have broken it out. In that little letter that he wrote about 25 different times, he uses that phrase of in Christ. It must be pretty important. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now, see I was raised in a church culture that talked a lot about you need to let Jesus into your heart. You need to let Jesus in. But there was a brand new sort of a concept, this thing of being in Christ. But I'm, let me just bring out uh, some things from my toolbox here. All right. I'm a guy who, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, learns more uh, through my eyes than I do through my ears. My dad was a storyteller, and he one that used object lessons. And I remember some of the things he taught me nearly 100 years ago, because uh, he used objects. Again, so let me just use, for you visual learners uh, out there like me, let me use this visual that uh, has been helpful to me. Uh, because I think Joe last week was talking about the scripture, in him you also you were included when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. Okay, so here we go. The good news starts with bad news. You know this. The good news starts with bad news. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And that death means separation. And so we've all missed the mark. You set up a target. You, shoot, uh, you throw a dart at that. You shoot an arrow at that. You aim a rifle at that. If you do anything but hit the bullseye, you have fallen short of the mark. God has set up a, a target for us, a bullseye of perfection. Uh, 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 we've all fallen short. All of us have fallen short and we are separated, which needs an emptiness within us. Nothing can fill that. Not being, not being the smartest, not being the fastest, not being the, 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 the richest. Nothing will fill that. Nothing will fill that. Nothing will fill that. Not by being the best churchy person. Not by being the top 10 heathen of the week. You can't fill that. Nothing fills that. But God so loved the that he gave us his only begotten. Whoever believes in him should not. But have everlasting life. Yes. Yes. Yes the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Believe in our heart God. Has raised him. We confess our mouth Jesus Lord. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. Friends then. Because he wants to come. He wants to fill that. He's the only one that can fill that. So he knocks on our heart's door. He wants in. Who's the only one that can let him into, my, into your heart? Who's the only one that can let him in? Can I let him into your heart? Moms and dad. Can you let him into your child's heart? Child can you let him into your parent's heart? Who's the only one that can let him into your heart? You are. 
You are. He knocks and wants in, knocks and wants in. As I told you a little bit ago, as a nine-year-old boy, my dad took me aside, essentially the Spirit of God working in his son, and began to talk to me about I'd sinned, fallen short. And I'd heard that, but it hit me. That was me, me. And he gave me that little John 3.16 we quoted together a while ago. But he did it like this, for God so loved Dale that he gave his only begotten son. And it hit me. He so loved me. And I knelt down. And in simple faith, I accepted the grace gift of Jesus and asked him into my heart. And he came in and he filled me up. Woo! But I'm here to tell you, friends, still for a lot of years... I think Joe used an illustration that first message about sitting in the mansion, owner of, uh, uh, an heir of it all, and still trying to live for the pennies. That was me. But something else happened that day when I knelt and asked Jesus into my heart. Not only did Jesus come into me, did you hear what is in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? In him also, in him you also, in him also you were included dead not only did he come into us he brought us into him get that picture not only is he in us we are in him her old retired missionary one time said she had jesus on the inside and the outside that's only two sides she had picture that and as joe shared last week he then sealed us there with his holy spirit Holy Spirit, he talked about last week about that guarantees us, friends. Because, friends, that's better than Tupperware. That's better than Tupperware. Nothing's ever going to take us out of him. Nothing. Wow. Get that picture. Get that picture. Because it is that picture, it is that position that is key to the book of Ephesians and key to our living our lives. Friends, there are two books out of the Bible. Joe and I were talking about this. We got together this week, kind of talking about this Sunday. There are two books out of the Bible that really kind of lay out systematically what this Christian life is all about. One of them is Romans, the other one is Ephesians. I tend towards Ephesians because it's shorter and there's less parts I don't understand, but it's it's rich. It's telling us how we live our, in just very practical way, who we are, how we're to live, what attitude we need to take against that which stands against us. It's there. Sit, walk, stand. It's there. It's so practical. I'm excited. Can you tell? I'm excited for you. You say, would I talk like this? I sit in your table. Yeah. I just, I get excited because friends, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you There was a, uh, a, a picture that Jesus began to, I believe the Spirit of God began to plant in my heart that kept, again, I'm a visual learner, I'm a visual learner. He began to show me a visual picture out of nature of something that kind of captures this radical thing that God does in our lives, this person he makes us to be. And I began to use this. And so apart from... Anybody, but, but, but anybody, because I do some volunteer storytelling in the schools. I've done that for years. And uh, one day, one of the teachers in a public school here in this town said, hey, I got a gift for you. And she gave me a gift of a puppet. And I saw that puppet, and I thought, wow, isn't God good? 
because this puppet pictures, allows me to picture the image he had already given me. Isn't that good when he does something like that? And I brought my puppet with me today. <laughs> Joe was hoping I would. No. And gratefully, this is the day the kids get to stay up and see. Kids young and old. This is my friend Clyde. Clyde is a caterpillar. Let me ask you this. Does God love Clyde the caterpillar? Does he want Clyde the caterpillar to stay a caterpillar? He wants Clyde the caterpillar to become a butterfly. And Clyde, let's say just for the sake of our story today, Clyde the caterpillar wants to become Clyde the butterfly. He does that in the worst sort of way. So he just really strains to think how he can do that. So think, think, that's it. I'll think my best positive thoughts. I'll try the power of positive thinking. I'm a butterfly, I'm a butterfly, I'm a butterfly. Does that do it? Mm. He decides if he eats butterfly food. Mm. If he plays butterfly games. If he hangs around with other butterflies. If he sings butterfly songs. None of it works. He begins to be discouraged. Then he gets this brilliant idea. He decides he'll climb way up on the highest branch he can find. He will think his most positive butterfly-ish thoughts. And then he will jump and flap his wings. He thinks his legs are his wings. And then he will become a butterfly and take off and soar and fly. That's his plan. He knows it's going to work. So he counts to three. He jumps. He thinks his butterfly thoughts. I'm a butterfly. I'm a butterfly. I'm a butterfly. He flaps his legs, which he thinks are his wings with all of his might. Does he become a butterfly and fly? <laughs> Breaks 10 of his legs. He's in the hospital for three months. He gets out. He's so discouraged. He's so confused. He thought he was. Now he's not sure he can ever eat the top. And that's when he begins to become aware of the pull of God wanting him to accept a gift that God was ready to give him all the time. But it seems so silly in his thinking. He puts it off and puts it off and puts it off. But finally, he can't put it off anymore. And he finally gives into it. And he gives into it by crawling up on a limb this time, and not to jump, but to hang upside down. Hang upside down. He does what he thinks is the most embarrassing thing ever, but it's what God seems to be calling him to do. He begins to weave this stuff all around himself. And pretty soon he's enclosed in a cocoon. Or some smart science folks will say, that's a chrysalis. Well, whatever. <laughs> Didn't know what else to do. He's all closed up in this thing, so he takes a nap. Then he begins to stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch. And then he comes out of that cocoon. Whoa, what is he now? little twist in the story, though. He now thinks he's a caterpillar. <laughs> so he crawls down from the limb and starts living on the ground as if he is a caterpillar. If you came across Clyde, the now butterfly, living like a caterpillar, what would you want to tell him? You are a, maybe you wouldn't even want to get a mirror and say, hey, look, man, you are a butterfly. Oh, wow. Knowing the truth would set Clyde free to spread his wings and, wait a minute, 
He needs to learn who he now is. And so learning who he now is, he can spread his wings and live like who he now is. And living like who he now is, that means gravity will never have an effect on him, right? Well, think about it. Think about it. He's soaring and flying. Gravity no longer has an effect, right? What if he pulls in his wings? Does that make him a caterpillar again? No. Makes him a sad butterfly, though. He needs to learn where he sits. He needs to learn who he is. And learning who he is sets him free to now live like who he is, to put off caterpillarish behavior, to put on butterfly-ish behavior, because that's who he is. And as far as gravity, he needs to have a certain attitude about that gravity stuff. He's going to make a stand against it and not give it in that gravity. And the way to not give into that gravity is to keep his wings in motion. I love this. And hasn't God given us this example in multitude this 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 sprawl. Have you seen the amount of butterflies we got around town? Whoa! He's wanting a picture, I think, for us. And so, as you continue, what? Just I'm seeking to share with you. Saying a lot. You say I'm. Well, I'm sound a lot like a preacher, Philip. Well, I'm sorry. It's an occupational hazard. I really hope it's more like because this is what I would share with you just at your table. I hope these images helps. helps this come alive to you. Because if you've never asked Christ in, you're still a caterpillar. And no matter how much you work, no matter how much you do, nothing will change that until you ask Jesus in. To be the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins. Lord and Savior. Then that brings you through his cocoon and makes you a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's also a passage and a verse you get down later into Ephesians as Joe continues to walk you through Ephesians. The Spirit walks you through Ephesians through Joe. You can get down to about uh, Ephesians 2, 15, 16 through there. talks about how he takes a white supremacist and someone from the other group and he makes them into one new creation. Jew, Greek, Gentile. He makes him one new butterfly species. <laughs> the same one. But we need to be ready to stand firm because gravity will always be working to pull us down. I want to close today with just doing a little quick story. Um, as Joe said, uh, I'm a storyteller. I'm a story thinker. I see an old abandoned farmhouse, and what do I do? I think of the stories that were lived out in that old abandoned farmhouse when it was first built, when folks were moving in, when babies were born, when people were late. I just see stories wherever I go. I see your faces. I see stories because every one of you got one. I see stories. I see this book. I see a story. It is one great, big, wonderful story. 66 books, one story, filled with stories, all meant to make a difference with our story. I, I'm so passionate, and I'm so story-minded. I believe that you can come to any verse, any phrase, any word in that book and tie it to story. Oh, how about the book of Ephesians? Can we tie that to story? We've already seen how we can tie it to our story, but it comes from a story meant to impact our story. And so what I'd like to do for a moment today, if I could, is just step into a character that is key involved here in this book of Ephesians. And so I'm going to step into a character out of the Word of God. 
And so as I do so, uh, I'm going to pull off what different ones have been led to do throughout history. I'm going to do some historical fiction. That's what I'm going to do. A guy named Lloyd Douglas did this back in the 1940s. He wrote a book called The Robe, a story about how a Roman was impacted by the robe that was gambled off at the foot of Christ. He then later wrote a book called The Great Fisherman, taking the story of Peter and putting a little fiction with what we know of his life and help bring what we know of his life to the forefront. A little bit later, there was a guy named Lou Wallace that wrote a book called Ben-Hur. You may have heard of that. That was remade into a new movie recently. Uh, And then uh, uh, less than a year ago, about a a year and a half ago, uh, there was a couple of guys. uh, uh, Kevin Reynolds was one. I forget the name of the other one that wrote a book, wrote a script called Risen about a Roman centurion that was sent to investigate this missing body out of the tomb. So what I'd like to do today, uh, the story, the guy I'm going to share with you uh, is real. Uh, The primary facts that I will share with you from that life is real. Some of the things I might add of how he might have felt or thought uh, may have a little fiction involved. So let me, and and no fancy rows or costumes, I just want to lose this little prop here, this little piece of cloth, and, uh, and just let me share a little bit from uh, someone that we meet in the pages of Scripture, someone who's pretty vital to the book of Ephesians and whose story and from whose story came the book of Ephesians. So let me just step into this real quickly and then we'll have a closing word and uh, move towards communion and uh, hopefully flitting flying out of here, okay? Hi. piece of a tent or canvas that was meant for a tent. Uh, tent maker. Well, I make tents. That's not who I am. <laughs> um, I make tents so I can have money to buy food uh, just to get by. But my passion is totally different. It's to help people encounter the Christ in their tent. <laughs> Oh, where to start? Um, It started on a road when I was hell-bent, and that's what I was, hell-bent, finding some other followers of the way, wreck whatever havoc I could on them. And God shined his bright light upon me. And that bright light, he said he had a job for me. He wanted me to go and take and help people caught in darkness to come to the light. Those owned by Satan to be belonging to God. And of all things, he wanted me to do that with Gentile folks who was once, that was a dirty word for me. (laughs) And then he isolated me for a while just to teach me. He's a good teacher, you know. He brought things alive out of his word, his scriptures. The Lamb of God was more than just a historical lamb that was put on the doorpost to help save some folks in Egypt. It was a lamb put on a cross to save our sorry souls. <laughs> I saw things in his word, truths in his words delivered out of bondage to be brought into the promised land. 
that wasn't just a story then. It was meant to be what our stories was, out of bondage, into his promised life. He showed me so much in that time of teaching. Then he released me to begin to share that. And I had been sharing that for a time before I ended up on the doorstep of a place called Ephesus. Oh, what a wicked town. <laughs> Talk about a town in darkness. Ooh, that was. I got dropped in there with a couple of my tent-making friends, Aquila and Priscilla. I asked them to stay because that town needed some light. I was being compelled to move on at the moment, but I did have a chance to share in their synagogue one Sabbath day, and they wanted me to stay, but I couldn't stay then. I said, if God lets me come back, I'll come back. He had me come back. And I stayed there between two and three years, making tents in the morning, and for the first three months there, going to the synagogue to share the kingdom truth of Jesus to those obstinate Jews I know because I was one got stiff-necked and refused to listen anymore so we moved out of there and went to the hall next door and day and night in the afternoons into the evenings in that place and from house to house we tried to humbly share the good news of Jesus oh friends if I could just Miracles began to happen. Handkerchiefs would be taken and brought to folks. Healing would take place. Deliverance from demonic forces. But more than anything, people who were trapped in darkness came into his glorious light. Where the group grew from 12 to where there wasn't anybody in the province hadn't heard. Who did that? Me? No, he... Something happened there. It was kind of unusual because I kept mentioning it. If you ever read what my friend Dr. Luke wrote about that time frame. I cried a lot. <laughs> I was a hard-necked, hard-nosed, hard-headed apostle, prophet. I began to cry a lot. <laughs> when I was starting out, Barnabas is the one who took me under his wing he was soft-hearted. I gave him a bad time. He even wanted to take his cousin John Mark with us the second time around after he whomped out on us the first time. I refused. Hard-headed old Paul, I refused. Barnabas, he wouldn't have it. He went with John Mark. I don't know if you've read or not, but I wrote one of my epistles, bring John Mark along. He's useful for me. <laughs> I found out that Sometimes when God touches your heart, he brings tears out of your eyes. So you know what I began to do? I would take uh, scraps of my tent making, found they made real good handkerchiefs. Because <laughs> when you cry, you have to have something to da damp them up. I cried a lot. I cried for those still in darkness. I cried for those stiff-necked Jews. I cried for those heathen Gentiles who refused to believe. I cried for those who accepted, who moved out of darkness a lot. I cried tears of joy. <laughs> I cried. My last interaction face-to-face -face with my friends from Ephesus wasn't in Ephesus. Is in a port town called Malatus. 
called for their leadership and they came and I kind of gave them a commission because I couldn't come back no more. And then you know what we did together? We cried. Because I wouldn't know, I, I knew I wouldn't see him again until glory. I ended up in prison. God kind of showed me that was what was going to happen. But you can't imprison his word. So he began to prompt my heart to write some letters, and I did write some letters from that prison. And one of them I wrote was to my friends in Ephesus. But the strangest thing happened. When God was kind of guiding me with that old letter writing thing, he caused me to leave it pretty generic with these dear people I'd spent two years with. As I sent it off, he began to show me maybe why. Because, see, if I'd have made it very personal, it wouldn't have applied to as many persons. <laughs> but keeping it general, it could be read in a variety of churches, not just at Ephesus, and be taken personally. So I'm hoping that's what God has done with it. One last thing let me share with you. I learned along the way that I could share information in my teaching and in my writing that would put the truth here. But you know who I learned is the only one that can take truth from here and put it here? God. God. So as I wrote to my friends in Ephesus and those others who might read it, hear it, I gave them the information, the information of who they can be in Christ. If they've accepted the Christ, who they are in Him. They were orphaned, now they are adopted. They were darkness, they were light, they were dead, now they're alive. So much there. I tried to share that with them and to share with them how they can now spread their wings and fly into being all that they're meant to be. What attitudes and actions they can put off, what attitudes and actions they can put on, and then how they need to stand against that old rascal that'll try to keep them grounded. I put all those facts in there. But I put a prayer in there too. Oh Lord God, give them a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of you. Show them you, Jesus. Show them you, Lord God. And open the eyes of their hearts so they can know the hope of their calling, the riches of their glory, and of your inheritance in them as saints, the surpassing greatness of your power in and towards them. These are in the working of the strength of your power that you brought about in Christ Jesus when you raised them from the dead and see them far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named both in this age and age to come. Lord, show them that they can bring what's, that you can bring what's out of here and bring it here. They can take information they have and take that information and with that information they don't have it, but it has them. Please. Thank you. Oh, needing it again. you ever get a letter from a friend oh no people don't send letters anymore text huh haven't heard from them for a long time then you get a text from them and it's filled with some good news how do you feel how do you feel when you're the one that has the good news and you can't wait to you can't wait to see them i gotta get that good news to them we might facetime them <laughs> i wonder what paul would have done with facetime goodness gracious 
I'm glad he didn't have it because if he had had FaceTime, he would have told him and not written it down. And I'm glad he wrote it down. Friends, see this letter not just as, a, as, as doctrinal. No, it's from the heart of a dear man who had spent two years plus of his life loving on these folks, crying over these folks, teaching these folks day and night in their house and public, the house, the house and public. He loved these folks. He wept over these folks. Oh, hard-headed Paul wept over these folks. And he wrote them a letter. So see it. And aren't we glad in many ways he kept it general because it can still be taken as personally by those of us gathering at the well. And I guess I close with this. Joe will do a great job. I haven't had a chance to listen except for the first one. I did listen to your first one in this series. He's, he's going to do what the Spirit of God has wired him to do. He's going to take you verse by verse. He says he's going to get through it in nine or ten months. Yeah, right. <laughs> I intended, when I first started pastoring, I never thought I'd be the pastor of a church. And God says, the carpenter says, I'll do with you what I want. Well, he put me in a church, a new church plant. And, uh, uh, Someone else had planted it. I came in kind of their first pastor. And so I, I thought, well, Ephesians, that's such an impactful book for me. I'll start preaching through it. I think about two or three years into it, I was chapter four, and people got t- tired of turning their Bibles to it. So I went to something else. But anyway, he's going to do a great job. But what he does in teaching is going to do a great job in putting the information here. Joe's prayer and my prayer, and I hope your prayer will be, God, take what's going in here and put it down here. Open the eyes of my heart. That's the difference between having information. I can have information. I know that stuff. But does that stuff have you? Friends, the truth in this word has come to own my life. And I have soared into, into life and relationships in ways I never would have without that truth. And so my prayer is for me and for you that we'll not just have a hold of the information, but the information I have a hold on us. <clears throat> so as I close my time with you, I'm going to pray that prayer for you. And as I end my prayer, you're going to, Joe's going to come up and invite you to communion. That communion, as we know from another letter that Paul wrote to some friends in Corinth, is given to us that whenever we take it, we will remind us of him. And proclaim his death for us until he comes. But then before he ends that part of his letter, he says, but be careful, don't take this lightly. Because if, if you are a butterfly and you're living like a caterpillar and you come and take and remember the cocoon, you remember what Jesus has done and who you are because of him, and you are willfully living like a caterpillar and you're coming and taking this reminder, friends, that's dangerous stuff. Paul said, there's some sick among you. There's some even who have died among you just because they're playing around with something that's not to be played with. So when you come here in a little bit, you're coming to take this, which isn't the cocoon, but is a reminder of he who is. And may it be a reminder to you of his death because his death becomes our death. Remember my key verse that I learned? I have been crucified with Christ. Who was? The caterpillar. What's going to make me a caterpillar again? What's going to make a, uh, what's, what's going to make a butterfly? It's come through the cocoon. It's now a butterfly. What's going to make that creature a, a, a caterpillar again? I love this. Nothing. 
What's going to take you and I that have come into Christ and are new creations? What's going to make us who we were before? Nothing. I got to quit. That says stop. stop. <laughs> My wife says, be careful. He can go on about this for a long time. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, give these dear folks gathered here at the well and who will be gathered at the well, <clears throat> give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you, not just about you, but know you, know you, a growing knowing of you. Please, Lord God, and open the eyes of their heart. They know the hope of their calling, who they are in you, the riches of the glory, their inheritance in you, guaranteed in you, sealed by the Spirit in you, and the surpassing greatness of the power your power in them to help an old legalist like me begin to live by grace, to take an old confirmed heathen like Joe and let us begin in by grace, to let our identities not to be determined by performance, but by be determined by your favor. I pray that for each of my friends here. I pray for Joe. I pray for me. I pray that we we so impacted this information. We'll have more than just having it. Just go into the heads of these folks. It'll go deep into their hearts and you'll open their hearts and they'll have it. And Lord, I was sitting at my office building the other day in the, the, in the bushes out front. There were just scads of butterflies just flying everywhere in the bushes. May this just be a, a congregation of butterflies that just that, that, that flit and fly and, and live butterfly-ish with one another and in our community such that you gravitate and pull other caterpillars in because they want to they get what these folks got. So, Lord, as we prepare to take communion, Lord, may none of us be foolish enough to be caterpillarish in our behaviors today and willfully stay that way and come to take this reminder. If we're caterpillarish today, may you remind us through communion that the answer to that is just spread our wings, and our wings is named Jesus, His Spirit. pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.